We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Friday, which means it's time for some Friday Free For All mailbag. I want to thank everybody so much for being with us today. ton of questions. We are sitting here just a minute into the show, and we have 46 questions that are already highlighted to be able to hit on today. So I want to thank you all so much. And for people that have never been on mailbag before, hit an MB in front of the question. Make sure that we can kind of articulate between what is a mailbag question and what is not. Also, just a quick comment. reminder. Before, yes, comments. Yeah. Also, before we start, Ryan Roberts, Ryan Driscoll, of course, here on a Friday. Want to remind everybody, we also be having a special live show this weekend. Okay? This weekend, Saturday, Bronte Johnson, star defensive back out of Northside High School in the state of Indiana, will be picking between Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Purdue. We obviously feel pretty good about where Notre Dame's stake is in that race as of today. So tomorrow he is scheduled to make his commitment at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Me and Brian have had a little bit of a discussion of when the best time would be for a live show. The two options on the table right now are 10 o'clock or somewhere around noon or 1 o'clock Eastern. Obviously the pluses and minuses to both is – the plus for the 10 o'clock would be that we're live as soon as the decision is made. So we're, you know, an instant reaction type of situation. 12 or 1 o'clock, more people have time to get up out of bed because it's not, it's a Saturday morning, right? So Including whatever us. the coverage is, yes. Just <laughs> you have a newborn, so not us or or me. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if you're if you're subscribed to us at boards.irishbreakdown.com, I actually put a poll on the board before we started here and uh, hoping to get a lot of responses there. So make sure before you leave the show today, hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, hit that notification bell because we're not 100% sure when we'll be doing the Bronte Johnson decision commitment show tomorrow, but it will be tomorrow. So make sure you hit that notification bell so that you know that when we're doing that. Brian, what's up, man? It's been a little while. How's everything? Yeah, man. Uh, it's going good. It's going good. I should ask you that question. I'm not the one dealing with a to- with a uh, toddler and newborn. 
Yeah, man. It's uh, it's wild times, but we're excited, obviously, to get going here on a Friday. Again, we already have 48 questions start yeah. in this podcast. So, uh, Brian, whenever you're ready, man. I'm we'll start off with a super rolling, chat, man. Let's, let's get started with let's a super it. chat from Rob Osgood. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And Rob says, Rob, thank you so much for the Super Chat. We really much appreciate it. And as always, guys, talking about recruiting, can you briefly describe the process about recruiting from start to finish? Wow, that's a lot one. Uh, just curious about the steps involved and most important elements. Thank you so much. Well, Rob, I'm going to give you a very basic overview of this because it, it, we could literally, Ryan, remember a couple of weeks ago when we started, actually, you know, it was a show with Vince where the first topic took like, you know, preseason top 10 teams took like 48 minutes. I don't want to do that with this show. Uh, so Rob, basically it, it, there's, there's an identification process, identifying who the guys are going to be on your board. Then it goes from that to, okay, narrowing the list down over time, which happens in a lot of different ways. There are some kids you have to eliminate because they don't fit a certain profile. So, I mean, I love this offensive lineman on film, but he's six, one and a half, two fifty, right? I mean, I just, that's just not going to fit it. Well, I really like this. This kid, but you know, he he's he he runs a 12-1 meter dash, right? It's just not gonna work for us. Uh, this kid doesn't fit academically. This kid, you know, whatever the case may be. And so you start to narrow it down through just the initial in, information gathering process, right? Once you start to narrow your board down, you start to sort of rank the board, you know, in, in most teams, Ryan, I don't I don't know if it's like this in the NFL or not, but I know it's like this in college. At most positions, it's not so much a 
here's my number one, here's my number two, here's my number three, but more so, you know, sort of like A group, B group, C group, you know? And so like, if, if, if we're going to take three receivers, we've got our A group of seven guys and and we want to get ideally three from there, but at least two from there. And then, you know, that, that, that type of process. And then you're always moving that around. So, you know, a guy like Ben Minich as a sophomore is going to be in your B or C group, but when he comes to camp and dominates a camp and then goes out, he, you know, he all of a sudden now moves up into your, your A group. So you're always evolving the process, which comes as you, as you gather film and watch more film and get to know these prospects more and those type of things. So there's always an evolution to that process. And, and that comes down, that's part of all the evaluation stuff. So once you kind of do the, start to do the evaluation aspects of it, then it comes down to the relationship building. And when this is ultimately what determines whether you will or will not get a prospect, the evaluation part determines who's going to be on your board. Um, and, and so then it's the relationship. So it's, it's first getting to know the kid, right. And it's, Hey, initial context. Hey, we're interested in you. We'd like to get to know you. Then it's, you know, Hey, let's dive into the relationship part. Cause you, you need to find out what kind of young man this is. Is this someone who, as you've gotten to know him over time, and this is what can get risky when you, when you get guys late in the process, because you don't always have as much time to evaluate that, uh, that part of it. And that's where you've got to rely a little bit on, on coaches that, you know, and, and high school coaches and other coaches, but you get into what kind of character does this young man have? How does this young man handle an adversity? How does he treat his parents? How does he treat people at the school? How, what kind of teammate is he? All that kind of stuff is important to that evaluation process, but also the relationship building prospect process. It, a lot of people focus on the, the trust that, that, that coaches have to earn and players, but there's also a level to this. If you're recruiting well, where you've, that player has to earn your trust as well during the recruiting process. And so that happens over time that then, then you get into, okay, let's get them on campus for visits. You want to try to get a kid on campus as early as possible for two reasons. Number one is you want to size them up. What does this kid look like physically? I know what he's listed at. I know what I think he is on film, but let me see the kid in person. And then the other part is you can, you know, you get to see, be around him and stuff, but then also you let him see who you're about and what your program's about. You know, he, he sees what a game day is like. He sees what a practice is like, or what, what, depending on when he comes. And you start to build the relationship from there. Then you get closer to the official, official visit process. Once the official visit process starts to happen, you have already kind of gone through a lot of academic stuff as well. This kid's got his transcripts in. He's applied to the school. He's gone through the admissions process to enough of a degree that you feel comfortable with, hey, this kid's going to be able to get into school. That's all part of it as well. And then, and then it just comes down to relationship building. And, and Ryan talked a lot about this. I think it was on the Monday show when we were going through the different players, you know, about about how the relationship has evolved over time and, and, and where they are. And and we talked about the closing process. Ryan, remember that question I got asked. And that's what a lot of the, the final piece is. It's just is knowing what is needed to close on a prospect because it's different. It's not the same for every kid. And that's all, that all comes from the relationship building. So the relationship building then determines, okay, what's our plan of a, of attack, so to speak on closing on this kid. And, uh, and then you try to close. And and if a kid commits somewhere else, you have to decide, is he someone we want to stay on because we like him, or is it a kid that we're ready to move on from? So that's basically what I believe are the, the, you know, and part of that relationship building is also building relationship with those people around him that are going to influence the decision. If it's a, a parent, a guardian, a coach, a, a grandparent, a brother, you know, all the different people that are going to influence a young man's decision, you need to get to know those people as well. Not just so they can influence him, but it's going to tell you a lot about who he is and what kind of relationship that you're going to be building with him. That's all part of the process as well. So, uh, 
that's to me how a relationship is is built. All right, we have a question here from Nathan Milton. Uh, were you ever a fan of BK? If so, when did you lose support for him? For me, um, the last straw was when he had the altercation with David Grimes. Uh, was I a fan of him? Uh, I, I think in the in that standpoint, from what you're asking, if I was a fan of him, I would say, yeah, I thought he was the guy that they should have hired when they made the hire in 2010. I thought that uh, he was a guy that could could lead Notre Dame to a higher level, and in a lot of ways he did. And, and, you know, look, I didn't like Brian Kelly personally, but he also – and I think that there were things he did that hurt the program, that kept the program from reaching its full potential. But he also did a lot of good things as well at Notre Dame and, and had a lot of wins, and it wasn't by accident, right? I mean, so he did a lot of good things. But I don't I don't know that there was necessarily, Nathan, a, a moment where I, I – I, stop supporting him because that to me is more of an emotional reaction. And, and I have to not be that way. I can't have emotional reactions. I have to, I can have an emotional reaction at at, at a time, but it can't be something that because I had this emotional reaction, my opinion is here. I'm I'm not going to change. There there was a lot of different things. How he treated assistant coaches was something I wasn't a big fan of his unwillingness to make, to admit mistakes. I mean, this is, for years with a lot of different ways, whether it was assistant coach hires, whether it was, you know, uh, personnel mistakes, game mistakes, you know, the whole, Hey, this is who I am. Get used to it. Thing was just such an arrogant. And I think that was like in year one was just an arrogant unwillingness to, to say, Hey, you know what? Like I, I, I didn't get that right. Like he, he honestly, like he felt like if he admitted to the media that, you know, hey, this call wasn't good or this thing didn't happen. It's like somehow, I don't know, it was like beneath him to do that. And I, and I never quite understood that. So instead, he would come out with these just really these outrageous responses. And, you know, you, you think of the 2016, you know, basically throwing Sam Mustafer under the bus because he couldn't consistently snap in the middle of a hurricane. When, you know, there just was so much stuff that you look at. And and then when you get to know the the players and the parents and some of the assistant coaches and you realize, like, this is not a dude that's in it for the right reasons. He's in it for him. He's not in it for the people around him, uh, for the for the edification and building up of the people around him. He uh, was never that way, but he really lost his way down the stretch. And so those are some of the reasons that uh, that I would say I, I quote unquote, lost support. Him. But I, I wouldn't say that it was because I didn't support him. It was just calling it like I see it. I mean, I think that's really what it boils down to. So the things that I thought he was responsible for, the not recruiting hard, the, all those, the, the coaching hires, you know, not being around for months at a time, it was more so, hey, this isn't the way that you win at a place like Notre Dame and then calling somebody out for it. More so than, you know, I stopped being a fan of him. I, you know, if, if I thought Marcus, if I just could not stand Marcus Freeman as a human being, if that were the case, but he was doing all the things you need to do to win, then I should say, hey, great job. If I think Marcus Freeman's the, the 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 best human being on the planet, but he's not doing the job, then I need to be able to say he's not doing the job. I mean, at the end of the day, you're evaluating the job, not personalities. Uh, to the degree in which you, you evaluate personalities is to the, the degree, Ryan, to which it impacts the job that a coach is doing. I think that's the only way you really evaluate a personality from a, from a, now it, I may not like him, Ryan and I may say things off the air, man, I can't stand this guy. But when it comes to the public, the public analysis, a guy could be the biggest prick in the world, but if he's doing what he needs to do to, to win and 
run his program uh, the way that the school hired him to run it, then you praise him for it. And if the guy's the nicest guy in the world, but he's not doing those things, then you have to be critical of it. And and that's why I would say it's not so much about being a fan of something as much as it's just calling it like I see it. And that's what was so funny when Brian Kelly left, Ryan, because you started to see all a lot of other people that had kind of, you know, carried water for him for years, start making the same complaints after the fact that I had been making for years that I would get crap for. And, uh, you know, worked out for us. Cause I think that sent a lot of people to our channel. Like, hold on a second. Like I, I, you know, you guys have been saying Driscoll's full of crap for years for saying these things. Now you're saying them now that Kelly's gone. Well, that means that this guy was being honest about it. And that's something that kind of helped yeah. us grow. But, uh, I don't know, Ryan, did you kind of have a moment where you're just like, man, I'm, I'm kind of over this guy. Uh, or, or, or did you kind of always say, Hey, this is a, this is, this is the guy. Um, I had very mixed feelings with Brian Kelly. Like I, I respected him as a football coach when he first got to Notre Dame. I, mean, I still respect him as a football coach. I still think he's a good football coach, but I, I, I think that to your question, Nathan, like was I ever a beat fan of Brian Kelly? I wouldn't say a fan. No. I mean, he had my supports because I was a, I'm a fan of Notre Dame football, right? Like I want Notre Dame to be successful. Whoever is the head coach to lead them there is the, who they donned to be the best head coach to be there. Pretty early on, Brian, in my opinion, like it didn't take me many times of listening to Brian Kelly to be like, man, he's not an incredibly likable person. <laughs> like, it's just not, you know what I mean? Like it got worse over time, obviously, because as you stack things on top, eventually things start caving in a little bit more, right? But I never really, I would say, was a fan of Brian Kelly. I respected Brian Kelly. I thought he was a good coach, and I hope that he could take Notre Dame to the highest of heights, obviously, during his tenure, because I am a fan of Notre Dame football. So I don't I don't think it's I don't think there was one moment where I was like, man, I don't like that guy. I think it was just like a general of like just hearing him talk. Like he just rubs me the wrong way. You know, he's, he always kind of has rubbed me the wrong way, to be honest. So I don't think there was like a one day, it was just one final thing that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I just think that that's just was always kind of my feelings on him. Like I I think he's a good coach. I don't know if I necessarily think he's a great person. You know what I mean? Like that's just kind of always how I've thought, thought about Brian Kelly personally. Speaking of it, Ryan, we do, we do have this question from yeah. Archer four five two that kind of relates to 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 Brian Kelly ish. So I want to address yeah. that, and and then we can move on from it. Archer's question: What do you think about the LSU sanctions from the NCAA? Multiple violations for both football and men's basketball with football getting a three-year probation, but having it backdated so it ends in three months. I don't think that – I'm a big believer, Ryan, that sanctions should be towards the people that committed the violations. And let's just say that the previous staff had done things that deserved really harsh punishment. Yep. Why would I support putting a team on probation that has since fired all those coaches that were responsible right. for it? So as far as I believe, none of the violations that were being investigated here had anything to do with the current basketball or football staff, right? Which is why I kind of do like the the whole um, the, the rule. I forget what the, the – well, not the back day, but like the thing with the, the show calls for the basketball will wait. So like he's at McNeese State now. He's got a – he's suspended for like what, three games, which is a joke, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, so, so as long as it's – you know, like with, with the with the football team, for example, I, I don't think that the football team should have been put on probation because you're now punishing people that had nothing to do with whatever happened. So if you sure. want to find the school, this is what I come down to. All these words, though, they mean nothing. 
Because what would probation mean? There's no loss of scholarships. There's no there's no loss of TV appearances. There's no loss in revenue. There's no loss in bowl games. So what's the whole point of a probation? It's just a slap on the wrist, so they can say that they did something. Now, so, it, so probation never means anything. It's what are the what are the sanctions basically? And you want to put this team on on probation for three months? Okay, what does that accomplish? Who are you hurting? You know, yeah. and 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 it just it's silly to me to be completely honest with you. And and so it's just um, it's typical NCAA. It's just it's for show. Nothing will yeah. happen to LSU. Nothing, right? If from if I'm reading the sanctions correctly, it's it's. You know, there's no fines for lack of institutional control, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so so for this particular case, I don't think it should have anything to do. If, if, if LSU, and there's a question down there kind of about this, if LSU is going to get in trouble for something now, it should be it should be for something that the current staff does, not for something that people have, that have been fired. Now, if there's like sure. three coaches on Brian Kelly's staff that were involved in those things, then sure, there, you know, there now need to be some consequences. But as far as I know, I, I don't know that uh, – that I could support, I would support that. So I, I'm okay with it being that way. I, you know, what they should do, Ryan, in this case is saying, Hey, if, if they did something bad, then you fine them. I mean, that's, right. you know, Hey, you owe us $3 million, you know, that kind of thing. And if the current coaches were still there, then you say, Hey, you're not going to be on TV. You're not going to get bowl revenue, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, this is just another for show thing that the NCAA does. Yeah. And we knew something at some point was coming. I mean, you had heard, you had been hearing before Brian Kelly got there that that pro the football program specifically was not in a good situation, man. Like there was a lot of shady stuff that has been happening at LSU for the last several years. So I'm not surprised that this came out. I agree with Brian. I think that it's not fair to penalize people for things that they didn't actually do. Right. That that'd be, that's, it's just that would be very inappropriate, in my opinion, to subject people to you know punishment for things that they weren't even involved in. So LSU was not in a good place from a discipline perspective, you know, over the last few years. And hopefully, and I, I believe that the one thing that I, I'm certain with Brian Kelly is that he'll run a decently tight ship as far as like there's not gonna be a lot of extracurricular inappropriate things happening like there was at LSU over the last few years. So at least not as much, although there's a couple incidents we've not heard as of. much. Yeah. Not as much. That, yeah, uh, yeah. Y- y- you wonder about. So yeah. yes. Edo did not run the tightest ship of all time. No. John a one with a question, which group of players are most essential to develop for the 2023 season junior, including red shirt or sophomores, sophomores to me, Ryan, I, I wrote an article about this the other day. I, Look, every class is important, right? I mean, you can't yeah. just say, well, this class, but you know, there's a level of expectation with the junior and senior class. Like the junior class, for example, is going to be very heavily involved, you know, dominate the starting lineup on offense, for example. You're gonna have a junior running back, a junior tight end, you know, two two of your three starting receivers are likely gonna be juniors, at least one. You're gonna have juniors at right tackle, left tackle. You might end up eventually having a, a junior at right guard. You know, we'll see. But at the end of the day, to me, the, the thing that's going to go put this team over the top or not is going to be the development of the sophomore class. That, that to me, is going to be what determines how good this football team is going to be. You know, when you look at, at just every position, I mean, Steve Angeli right now being in a position to be the backup quarterback, he's probably going to get called upon at some point in time this season. How is he going to handle it? Yeah. You've got Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne, the, the importance for them to emerge at running back this year. Tobias Merriweather at wide receiver. 
Holden Stace, potentially Eli Raritan at tight end, uh, Billy Shrouth at guard emerging. You know, obviously Benjamin Morrison's important. Jaden Mickey's going to be huge. If he steps up and has a big year this year as the number three guy, that's going to be huge for this for the defense. So you look at the linebackers, Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed are going to be a very important piece of this whole thing. So to me, that's where it comes down to, Ryan, is that sophomore class is going to determine if this is a really good team or a potentially elite team. I think they need this sophomore class, especially you know Mary, Morrison to continue doing what he's doing. They need Tobias Merriweather to step up and be big this year. If they're the, the best that this offense can be is going to include Holden Stace and Jadarian Price being legit potential playmakers, either starters in, in Holden Stace's case or backups, and which could also be Holden Stace's case, and yep. more so Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne. So I, and then, of course, you need Billy Shrouth to step up. So I, I really think the sophomore class, and if you really wanted to get technical, Ryan, you could say it's the sophomore class on offense more so than it is on defense. It's important on defense, but it's even more important on offense, like way more important on offense. I... So if I'm including the red shirts into the junior conversation, I, I I feel like I might lean juniors just slightly because, I mean, technically then we can include guys like Xavier Watts in as a junior, right? Because he would be a red shirt. We can include J.D. Bertrand in because he's technically a red shirt junior, right? Like we can include those guys. Yeah, because he's, he's a red shirt junior that's in a fifth year. How about this, Ryan? Because it gets the COVID yeah. stuff can get you. Let's – Let's go the more traditional redshirt juniors. So yeah. Xavier Watts is more of a traditional redshirt junior. Yeah. Not Jack yeah. Kaiser and JD Bertrand. But but it sure. still doesn't take to me doesn't necessarily take away the point that you're trying to make. Yeah. Well, I mean, because what, what the way I look at it is that I agree with you because I think the biggest thing is that the sophomore class is going to take what you already know because that's more than known with a lot of the junior class and potentially take it over the top. I don't disagree with that at all. But I also believe that the junior class in general are your dudes this year, right? They're your guys that need to be the dudes. I mean, Joe Walt, yeah, the Joe Walt, Joe Walt, Blake, yeah, exactly. Byer, like those are Dion, Jaden Thomas, yeah. Mitchell Evans, right? Yeah, those are, those are your guys that you are going to most lean on when you need a big play to happen. For the most part, like those are your guys that you need to be. Money players, like that's kind of where it is. So I, I would just, for the money player aspect of it, I might lean juniors, but I think sophomores is a very acceptable and very astute opinion, obviously right there, right? Because again, I do think that those guys, because we always talk about it, what separates Georgia from some of the better teams the last couple of years? It's not that their number ones are that much better than everybody else's in college football. It's that their number twos are better. It's that their number threes mm-hmm. are better. It's that they throw waves at you. Right. And Notre Dame's been missing that in some years of waves. You need waves. But here's the thing, too, Ryan. If you're going to include red shirts as part of the junior class, then you have to throw Blake Fisher into the sophomore class. That's the other part of it, right? So, I mean, because now you're putting three, like two classes into one versus a class yeah. of one. So, if if we're going to go with the thought of, of it being red shirts, then then I'm throwing Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher into that sophomore uh, that sophomore conversation. I'm throwing Gabriel Rubio into that that red shirt sophomore. Jason Onye now becomes a sophomore. So that's the other part of it too. Is 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 I would rather take the red shirt part out of it if you yeah. know if we're if we're going to do that. But I, I just third feel year like, versus second year players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then you get into like, okay, if you want to, how are they going to be without Sam Hartman? So to me, it's it's more about if you assume that veterans play like veterans, then you really need that sophomore class to take you over the top. But 
yeah. like I said at the preface, they're all the classes are important. Like if the if the juniors and sophomores step up and ball out, but the 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 veteran linebackers don't. If Riley Mills doesn't a D tackle, if Javante John Baptiste, Cam Hart, those guys don't play well. Sam Hart doesn't play well, then it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how yeah. good those young guys are. But uh, agree. They're going to be a young team, but what I like is that they're not needing the young guys to step up from a leadership standpoint. There's a lot of this is a very experienced football team. Coach Freeman, I'm going to have. I, I there was a I think it was in the article that I put up yesterday. But I, I, I'm trying to think. But he he talked about this. I might not even have it in an article yet. But he talked about how like this is a team that's played a lot of football this year. Yeah. Like we had a lot of guys last year that hadn't played a lot of football. Xavier Watts hadn't played a lot of football going into last year. Jordan Patel hadn't played a, a ton of football going into last year. So Joe Walt had played a whole season, but but you know half a year as a start. Blake Fisher only played two games going into last year. Audric had seven carries going into last year. Like like I was having a conversation with a guy uh, on the board who's a very smart football guy. And he was talking about how, you know, let, let's pump the brakes a little bit on the running backs. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to, because that's the nature of that position. Like look at Audric Estime. Does Jabron Payne have yeah. that much less experience? What Aldrich, Aldrich Estime played 18 snaps of offense as a freshman. He had seven carries and six of them came in a blowout one over Navy late in the year. Right. He, he I only mean, had so, five more carries than Payne had last year. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, it, it, obviously Logan stepped in, late in the year and played a little bit, but he had like what, 269, something like that, rushing yards in 2021. Yep. So the guys that broke out for you last year between Logan Diggs and Audric Estime had a combined, I'm, I'm going to do the math here real quick, had a combined 290 yards rushing for their careers coming into the year. And, and so you, he, his point was, yeah, we have some guys that are young, if you look at it from a youth standpoint, but we have a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. Yeah. And, and much more so than last year, even some of them that are here that weren't here last, you know, that are here that were, I mean, Benjamin Morrison and Jade Mickey were very important players. You know, they played a lot of minutes for the secondary last year. They were true freshmen. So very much more experienced team this season than they were a year ago. There's no doubt about it. Next question is from Travis Patterson. Thank you, Travis. What are your thoughts on LSU's air-conditioned helmets? I personally don't like them, but wanted your thoughts input. I have not seen this. I don't know what this is. Yeah, so they they have this new air-conditioned helmet. Look to me, the whole thing is is I, I, that would be something that would that would be have to. I think it's kind of. I mean, just the thought of it, it's kind of corny. I would be very concerned about the science of it. That would be the whole thing for me. Like I would want to talk yeah. to medical people, doctors. Like, hey, is there value when they're out there playing in the middle of a game? to have their bodies heated up, but their heads cooled. It may, they may say, Hey, yeah, this is actually good. And here's why it does this. It does that. It does the other thing. My, my non-science background thought would be, I don't know if you necessarily, if that makes a good, if that's a good idea, you know, where it's just like your head's cold. I don't know what the ramifications would be if potentially what are the, the pieces in your helmet that are making that is there a chance that a hard hit could break one of those things and shove a broken. I mean, there's so many health injury questions that I would have that I would need to have answered for it. But if medically it makes a lot of sense and health wise, it makes a lot of sense and it's good for players to have that, then fine. If it's just something you're doing, cause it sounds cool, then, you know, like, it's, I, like I, I get so sick of the superficial stuff, like the Texas and look, I know kids like it, but I just, I hate it. I think it's uh, shallow and petty when like the kids go on a visit at Texas and they got like all these really expensive cars there. I'm like, this is, this is what your program's about, huh? This is what it's about, expensive cars. 
you know, not, Hey, how I'm going to build you up as a young man. And I just, I can't, I get sick of that, that shallow stuff, right. The, yeah. the superficial stuff. And it's like, cause well, the kids love it, but are you really like, I understand you have to, so it's a double-edged sword, but like, at what point in time do the adults say, no, 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 we're not going to act like 17 year olds. We're going to try to lead, build them up. And you know, I, I know that's a soapbox. I'm not going to get on that today, but I, I, I like substance, man. And if there's good substance to this and, and medically you have people saying, look, here's why this is good. And this is what this does for players. And this is why this is smart. And that's smart. Then I'm all for it. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's going to improve the welfare of student athletes, then I'm all for it. If it's just a for show thing, then stop wasting my time on stuff that doesn't matter. That's the way I look at it. I need, I need to look into this, man. I have not seen this helmet at all. So it's yeah, very, it's pretty interesting. It's interesting. It's yeah. inter- It's very interesting. I yeah. have no idea if it works and how it works and all the in, in-betweens of that conversation, but it's very, yeah. oh man, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I kind of yeah. miss the days of Brian of getting overheated and you run into the, the water sprinkler thing coming off yeah. the fence and just getting it on your neck and then running back out. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I'm a like I, like one play, one, Notre Dame used to have this thing where they would have hats like in this kind of like um, it was it was like an ice water, but it had like I don't know if it had like different chemicals in it, but they would throw the hats yeah. on on the sideline and it would just like have this like, you know, just this cold water because the hats were soaked. And yeah. uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. But look, it's to me, it's all about what is what, if, what is what you're doing, promoting a healthier way in a safer way to play football then i'm all for it yeah. if it's just a for show thing then it's you're wasting my time i would think if something that would like cool the neck would be a little bit more yeah. like reasonable but i don't know right i just don't know like when you're in the middle of of exerting yourself is it healthy or not yeah. is it safe or not I, and i don't know the answer to that sure. that's why i'd say is i would have to rely on the medical people and the doctors and you know people like that i just i would just have a lot of questions and they'd have to convince me that this is safe and healthy for players have you ever seen the junction boys yeah i don't know why but the i just thought about how, how the, yeah yeah i was just thinking about how the world has changed so much since that to some, now. Of, it's, it's some like, of it's not good a lot of it is good a lot you know of it is I mean? very like, good yeah. but yes to your point yeah yeah like you need to be uh, able to push athletes like the, the danger that i have ryan is that we go so far in this player player safety thing that we end up going too far to where we're now putting them in danger because we're not doing enough to push them past their, their limits, right. Or their perceived right. limits. Right. I mean, it's like the, which it's not like only builds up your thing. body, but builds up your mind, you know, the mental toughness yeah. aspect of it. Like we need to be able to, to, to have that balance to where you're not being so protective of them that we're not, we're doing a disservice to them because we're not pushing them to where they need to, which just maybe leads to more injuries and things like that. But then there's just the extreme opposite view of, of of that you know what i mean of, of what yeah. was happening uh, back then with those happen you know not giving water as a punishment or things like that like i you know so it's good that we've come a long way because i you know not everything that that's that's new is good and not everything that's old was bad you know and, right. and you've got to you've got to find that balance say hey look we're, we're going too far in this direction you know and sure. and we don't ever want it to be like that, but you know, there, there was, there was some value to it. Right. And we need to make sure that we're, we're finding that happy medium when it comes to those type of things. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jordan, thank you so much. What was the significance banquets used to play in Notre Dame? Wait, what is the significance? Oh, sorry. What was the significance that banquets were used to play in Notre Dame recruiting? How did a banquet inspire recruits to commit? I remember banquets being long, boring. And when did banquets for recruiting end? Well, first of all, banquets with Lou Holtz are not boring. And anything like that with Lou Holtz is not boring. Look, it, it, it's it's the it was more of the banquet weekend, Jordan. It wasn't like the kids showed up for the banquet and all the wheeling and dealing was done and convincing was done during the banquet and then they went home, right? The 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 season and bank. So what he's referring to is for a long time, especially under the Lou Holtz era the main recruiting weekends were postseason team banquets, which were usually done in December. And so players would come in, that'd be their official visit weekend. You'd have these huge lists of players. And essentially that was your guys you were going to try to finish for when you signed in February. So the main recruiting was the closing was really done in the final two months leading up to signing day. That was really when a lot of it was done. And, uh, Notre Dame's was the was a lot of times built around the banquet. Well, during the Lou Holtz era, that made a lot of sense because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm around all these great players and they just had this great season. But it was an official visit weekend. So like around the banquet was all the other stuff that you do on an official visit. You know, you take the tours, you do yeah. all this kind of stuff. And that's really what it boiled down to is they just, and they, and when did it end? I mean, they within the last, during the Brian Kelly era, the banquet was still something they used for recruiting. It ended essentially when, recruiting stopped being a thing uh like late late recruiting stopped being a thing is really when it ended you know when when most of your class is filled up before the season starts the banquets no longer have the same impact and so what the the recently that Notre Dame decided to do is make the banquet about the team they'll have some recruits sometimes in on campus but that's more of a weekend for the players and then have you know the official visitors come later if they're going to but it was really just about having the weekend uh, around the pomp and circumstance of that event in your postseason recognition and all that kind of stuff is it was more about the official visits but that's just how recruiting was done right it was you didn't have a ton of kids coming in during the season for games i mean they would but they weren't doing like official visit weekends during the season a ton it was a lot of it was just after the season the recruiting calendar was much different back then so it was just a different universe and um like what inspired recruits to commit uh, it wasn't that it was like, it, it wasn't like these 50 kids showed up. None of them had interest in Notre Dame. They just you know, had nothing better to do that weekend, but to come to the banquet and then they were inspired to recruit. It was, they've been being recruited by the staff for a while. That was their visit period. It's no different than what we're doing in June, right? Right. It's no different than what's going on now in June. It was just done instead of around summer camps and summer workouts. It was done around the postseason banquet. That's really what it boiled down to. So same process, just a cool. different schedule. Yeah, I think it's kind of a cool experience for a recruit, though, to be able to see that, right? I mean, obviously, it's it's changed, obviously, the format and when recruiting matters and kind of in the process. But you have to think it'd be pretty cool of a, of a prospective athlete to really see 
how everyone reacts and interacts and just kind of those little intricacies of being a part of the program. I think that's kind of neat. I really do think that's kind mm-hmm. of cool, actually. I was a banquet guy, though. Like, I got to sit in on the banquet when I went down the old American Bowl in San Antonio, and I thought it was so cool, man. Like, all yeah. these guys getting recognized and eating and just mm-hmm. neat. I think it's neat. Agree. Agree. All right, Ryan, I'm going to ask this question of you. John A1 okay. says, Ryan, Marcus Freeman has just hired you as defensive coordinator, linebackers coach. Going into fall camp, what would your defensive philosophy be? Which player or players are you building around, and what's your big-picture schematic approach? Uh, I mean, John, it's it's such a difficult question. I mean, for me, I, I look at it and I say, I mean, one, what do I believe in? I Because I, I think that that's – I think that – your philosophy has to be spurred off of your belief. There is a very fine line, though, in my opinion, of what you believe in and what you're comfortable with, but also knowing what your team does really well, right? And you have to mesh those things together. For me, I'm a 4-2-5 guy. I always have been. I, I talked about this many times. I was obsessed with the, the best years of the Gary Patterson era in TCU and being able to learn about the 4-2-5 and adjustments off of it and umbrella coverages and a bunch of different kind of nuances to that. So four two five is actually what Notre Dame runs now. So I don't think schematically I would be a ton different. I think philosophically I would be a little bit different, right? For me last year, the troubling areas of Notre Dame's defensive system was they could not, they felt like they could not get home with four at times and they had to manufacture a lot of pressure. Manufacturing pressure by me saying that is, I have to blitz a bunch of se- extra second-level defenders. I mean, how many times did we see a linebacker blitz last year and wasn't able to get home because it was poorly timed? So for whatever reason, and I mean, not for whatever reason, for the reason that Notre Dame last year, Al Golden last year, thought that he couldn't consistently get home with four, right? Isaiah Foskey and the four-down defensive lineman, they felt like they couldn't get home with four consistently. So they had to manufacture a bunch of pressure. I'm interested to see if that changes this year. Because I will say this, and I, I I don't know Al Golden. I've never talked ball with Al Golden. So I don't know if he believes this, but I know most defensive minds that I have spoken to and some very smart people that I've talked believe something similar, that I would rather not blitz. And as a defensive guy, I would rather not blitz. I would rather not. Being able to have things in your back pocket to turn to when you need it most, that's what a defensive coordinator wants to have, right? Like, I want to be able to play base and mix up coverages and just try to confuse people. I don't want to have to blitz out of necessity. I want blitzing to be a thing that I can go to when I want to go to it. So I think it's just kind of bullets in the in the chamber, right? Like, I want as many bullets as possible so that I have a better opportunity and a better option of hitting a target. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. So I would be a 4-2-5 still. I would be more situational with where my pressure packages are come from. I would love to do some post-snap switch as far as uh, post-snap adjustments from coverage perspective. I don't like showing what coverage I'm playing to begin the game. Right? I want to make opposing quarterbacks especially, especially in this era, I want to make them confused. So I'm not going to show the coverage a lot pre-snap. I'm going to roll post-snap a lot. I'm going to throw out some combination coverages because I think that those things are very vital. I mean, on the on the high school level, most of these quarterbacks are in these coverages and they understand what cover two looks like, what two-man looks like, what one, cover one looks like, what zero, 
even some that would like cover sixes, for instance, right? But then you start getting into the combination coverages that got where you're or a coverage on one side compared to the other, or you're playing match coverage where zone can turn into man. I want to be more influential and more experimental with that side of the defensive coin. So four two five, a lot of different coverage adjustments. I don't want to have to be a blitz heavy team if I don't want to be. And for me, who would I build off of? Like, I mean, from I, I think in 2023, I think the biggest asset that you'll have from a main perspective is that you will have two corners that will allow you to be very coverage versatile and will allow you to have a lot of man-to-man principles, which is always a plus. Because if I do want to bring second-level pressure, the best time to do that is when you're building to play man coverage on the back end. I think Notre Dame's going to have that. So I'm building around the corners. I'm building around the defensive line because I still think that if they're an attack-style front, I think that they have a lot of upside to creating pressure. I think Jordan Patelho, Riley Mills in his position out inside, I believe they can make a lot of plays on the football. So I'm going to be aggressive up front. I'm not going to be incredibly blitz happy, and I'm going to be versatile in the back end from a coverage perspective. And that's also going to work out out of the 425 base and easy adjustments off of it. Good stuff. We have some super chats down here, Ryan, as well. Let's get to a few of these here real quick. First super chat is from Kevin O'Neill. Thank you so much, Kevin. Outside of the big three games this season, where do you think Notre Dame has the highest chance for a slip-up? Absolutely love the mailbag, fellas. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Yes, that. thanks, Kevin. I look, I think it's it's there's there's to me, there's four games that I look at, Ryan, that I would say if I'm a Notre Dame fan of a potential slip up, it, and, and I'll just go chronological order, but it's NC State on the road because it's still early in the season. You, your, your coaches are still kind of newish on offense. Your coordinator is anyway. You know, I, I, Tony Gibson has a really interesting defensive game plan. Sam Hartman knows that defense, but they also know Sam Hartman, right? And so I would slightly give that particular edge to Notre Dame because they don't know Sam Hartman in this offense as much, but he knows that defense more. I think, Ryan, when you look at, um, you know, the talent NC State has, they have enough They have enough weapons. I think the, the hiring of Robert and I to be the offensive coordinator is going to make them a lot better on offense than they were last year. Will it be enough by week three? We'll find out, but he's got a quarterback that knows that offense, right? I mean, that's the key. So that'll be a test. And then Duke obviously is going to be a test, not just because of the, the team that Duke is and it being on the road, but also it's coming right after Ohio State and the yeah. potential emotional letdown that could happen either way. You either have an emotional letdown because you won and all that relief that comes from it, and then you overlook Duke or the emotional letdown because you lost and 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 that yeah. part of that too. I, I'd say Louisville's obviously next chronologically. I do think Louisville's going to be a tougher test this year than they would have been if they still had Scott Satterfield as the head coach. I would chalk that up as a sort of like Stanford. If Scott Satterfield's there, I had no faith that he would win a big game. Jeff Brom, much better. He'll have better athletes immediately. The minute he gets there, he's already going to have better athletes than what he had at Purdue for the most part. And then the next one's uh, Pitt for me. I think is always a, they're always a scrappy team. I, I don't think that they're going to be good enough to beat Notre Dame at home if, if Notre Dame remotely plays their game, but you got to earn that one. Those are the ones for me. If Stanford had a better quarterback, I'd say that would be one to keep an eye on. Late in the year, good offensive system. I just don't think they have enough firepower uh, at the skill positions and then not having a quarterback that can really get the job done. So that's why they're not in my in my group. But those would be the four, Ryan, that I look at and say, you've got to win all, all of them. But those would be yeah. the four I'd be most concerned about after the big three. 
Duke and Pittsburgh are my two biggest ones, and you mentioned them, obviously. I think Duke, for the reasons that we've talked about, Notre Dame has had some trouble with dual-threat quarterbacks, guys that can make things happen outside of structure a little bit, and that's Riley Leonard's game. I mean, he ran for 700 yards and 10 touchdowns last year quietly for Duke. I think that Duke is well-coached defensively, and I think they have a really good quarterback. So when you have those two things together, always got to be mindful of it. And then Pittsburgh, for the same reason you said, Brian, like they're one of those teams where are they more talented than Notre Dame? Absolutely not. Are they even that talented overall? No. But one thing that Pittsburgh does is they're tough and they're pretty well coached and they'll make the difficult things difficult and they'll keep the, and they'll make the, the easy things a little bit harder. Like it's just going to be one of those situations where you don't usually give give me's against Pittsburgh, right? Like you usually got to work for it a little bit. Like they're not just going to let you roll them over because you're just so much phys- more physically gifted than them. Like they're going to make you work to beat them handedly. Like they're going to make you work. So Pittsburgh for making you work and then Duke with a very athletic, good quarterback and also a well-coached defense with Mike Elko. I think those are two, two of the biggest recipes outside the NC state game, in my opinion. I just have to pull this up. Cause I think this is absolutely hilarious. This is from Jared Grace, okay. former Notre Dame player. Jared said, my grandpa played football at University of Tennessee in 1955. He quit because all freshmen did was run and get yelled at. He quit and joined the Army. Ha. That says a lot, right? Like when you're like, screw this, I'm joining the Army. I'm sick of being yelled at and sick of running, so I'm joining the Army. Uh, It says a lot about it. But there was was just so much of that. And, you know, there people say, well, you know, I can't believe people put – well, to a degree, you put up with it because that's all you know, knew, because that's how high school right. coaches were. And, you know, I mean, just kind of that's how dads were in some, you know, a lot. It just was a different time. But I'm, I'm glad from that regard, we've evolved a little bit yep. in some of those areas. But, you know, you also have to make sure that you're not going too far in the opposite direction where guys get soft. But I just thought this was hilarious that his yep. grandpa got sick of being yelled at and, and, and uh, running all the time. So he joined the army. Cause what do you do a lot of in the army and basic training? You get yelled at and have to run a lot. <laughs> yes. A lot, a lot of pushups. And yes, a lot, a lot, yeah, a lot. That's, that's funny too. That. Is uh, Yeah. Jared, Jared had a couple of nice comments. I actually starred one earlier about, uh, he had a little note on to Brian Benny Powell, which was kind of interesting. Okay. Which, uh, we might have to get to a little bit later in the show. Here, but, let me, let yeah, me find that one. Great. Since you're, since you're teasing it, Ryan, we're going to have to bring yes. it up now. So here we go. All right, here yep. you go. Jared just had put a note that Tabron Benny Powell is coached by a former head coach at Colerain in Cincinnati. Colerain. I played high school bat. What's what at Colerain? Colerain. Colerain. Yeah. Colerain. Sorry, Rain. my apologies. Yeah. Not a, not an Ohio guy. I'm sorry. It's okay. I played high school. Ba- I played high school basketball with his older brother. I can attest to the character of the family and the rigors of his high school program. So nice yeah. to note there. And I appreciate that, Jared, because Jared obviously is from the Cincinnati area. For those of you who don't remember, Jared was a guy that I gave a four-star grade to coming out of high school. But it, that's the thing that we talked about in the show the other day, Jared, is like, look, if you're going to take a chance on a kid, take a chance on a kid that, A, you know the coach. You've you you know because like there's there's something too when you have a high school coach that you trust because he'll tell you hey this kid's not your kind of guy this is a you know he can either he can't play there he doesn't have the attitude whatever but this is a guy that they've known for a long time he vouches for this kid uh, as a football player and then of course in the other areas but you're getting a kid that we talked about in the show is maybe he doesn't pan out and be a starter or whatever the case may be but you're getting a kid that wants to be here. And comes from a family that understands the value of coming to a place like Notre Dame. And there's value in that. There is. Uh, and so, yeah, we might say, well, I wish they'd got this kid, that kid. And th- that's still true. But there's a lot to like about Tabron as a young man. He earned the offer, right? Flat yeah. out. Er- if he doesn't come to camp, he doesn't have an offer from Notre Dame. 
He wanted it. Sure. He came and he earned it. I respect that. You know, when, when, when you talk about the type of background he comes from, you're like, you know what? You're going to get a worker. Is he going to pan out as a player? I don't know. But here's what you're not going to have to do. You're not going to have to baby him. You're not going to have to tell him he's pretty all the time just to make sure he doesn't get happy. You know, he's not unhappy. You're going to get a kid that understands the opportunity he has, and he's going to come and work. Is it going to matter? May not. But you need – and Jared will tell you this, even in a place like Notre Dame. Jared was part of that 2015 team. He was part of some good football teams at Notre Dame. The fact of the matter is you he was part of the 2012 team as well uh, that played for championship. You need guys like that in your program. You flat out do. I think the reason that there's a lot more angst about Tabron Benny Powell is because of the struggles the position has had now for several seasons. If like Notre Dame was loaded at safety and you took this kid, you say, you know what? I get it because you got Peyton Bowen last year. You got Xavier Nwong put a year before. Like you're pretty good there. You, I need a tough, hard-nosed, gritty kid that's going to do everything that I ask him to do, run through a wall if I need him to do it, go to class, value the education, comes from a great family. So if he's struggling, you know that you got mom and dad have your back at home. There's merit to that. And I think in under different circumstances, Notre Dame fans might be a little bit more fired up about him because of the things that Jared's talking about. But because right. of the struggles of the recruiting, the position, you, so you're going to have a natural question of, man, I just don't know if this is the move that they should have made. And I think that's where that comes from. But I do appreciate the fact that Jarrett gave that background because that's one of the reasons that Notre Dame is, is willing to take a chance on this kid whose film and camp performance doesn't scream Notre Dame kid. But this stuff right yep. here absolutely screams Notre Dame kid. And that's a part of the process is the intangible side of it, right? The right. character, the competitiveness, the leadership. And that stuff can't be seen on a huddle highlight film, guys. Like, that can't be seen for the most part. Ryan, there's one thing that you and I can guarantee to Notre Dame fans, as much as I can guarantee anything about the 24 class. If Tabron Benny Powell doesn't play at Notre Dame, it's not because he didn't work. I can, right. I, exactly. I mean, nothing's hundred percent, right? We, we never know how kids are going to be when they get to college, but based on everything I've ever heard about the kid, knowing the school, yep. uh, what Jared's telling you, if he doesn't pan out, he's just not good enough, but it's not going to be because he didn't work. It's not going to be because he wasn't bought in. It's not going to be because any of those things. And, and as I said, you need guys like that on the football team. Not everybody can be Jalen Smith. Not everybody can be Sheldon day. Some guys need to be Tony Springman. Right. Some guys need to be Danny Spawn. Some guys need to be the guys that are that don't play, but provide you. Hey, man, this kid, you know, this kid wasn't a good safety. But you know what? Like that year that we won the title, this kid made us work every day on scout team. I mean, he we couldn't take a day off because if I did, he would lay me out. You know what I mean? Like he would he would battle with me. I had to be locked in every day because I knew this kid was going to bring it. This was scout team was this kid's Super Bowl every single day. This is how he knew he was going to leave his mark at Notre Dame. You need kids like that, as opposed to the five-star kid who's down there pouting because he's not getting his way and he's already in his head entered the transfer portal, right? Yeah. You need kids like that, and hopefully okay. Tabron will be that kind of guy. And may, and hopefully he's better than you and I think he is. I mean, that's always what I hope for. I hope but so. But we just have to call it like we see it. And right now, the film just isn't doesn't impress me right now. We had a super chat from Tyler Evans. Tyler, thank you so much. When a coach is recruiting a player, how important is it to build a relationship with his parents? And do parents know when the coach is being honest and lying through their teeth about their son? I mean, it's vital, Tyler. I mean, we, we, yes. Brian, you talked about the you talked about the relationship between the recruit and the coaches, which is obviously incredibly important. But the parents is 
almost as, as important. Yeah, and, for and that's also something that I said too, Ryan, is you've got to know the people that are important to this young man from a yeah. def- decision-making process, because they're going to give you a, a background into, well, first of all, they can help you win the battle, but right. here's an important part of recruiting and team building. I need to know that when your kid comes here and things aren't going his way, when he calls home, because this is going to happen with almost every kid, because I don't care who you are, your first time living away from mom and dad, nine times out of 10 is a struggle, no matter no matter how much a kid was willing to leave. And, and so to me, you need to know that you've got a support system at home that are going to encourage him to battle through. You need to know that they've got your back and they need to know that you've got theirs, right? So if, if parents are trying to instill a certain values in their son, then it's imperative that they learn that going to play for Marcus Freeman, those values that we believe in are going to also be emphasized at, at Notre Dame, right? That's important for parents. And then it's also important that, that as a football coach, that, hey, these are the values that are important to my program. I need to know that when your kid's calling and complaining and upset and frustrated, that you are going to make sure that you're encouraging him to, to do this and do that and stay through it and all those type of things. And a lot of times when you get to know the parents, it's going to give you a sense of, okay, I met mom and dad. And, and like, so when you get to know Glenn James, you get a glimpse into why Braylon James is who he is, right? I mean, when you get to know Richard Tyree, you get a glimpse into why Chris Tyree is the way that he is. That's not all. When yeah. you when you meet Craig Nelson and his mom, like okay, now 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 I totally get Quentin, right? Because I know I know where he comes from, and so I think those things are incredibly. I, you meet Rob Ron Hainsey, Robert Hainsey's dad. You're like yeah, okay, I know exactly who Robert Hainsey is now. I know exactly why he is the way that he is. And I think those things are incredibly valuable to know through a process. But in, as far as the last part, I mean, some some people are good judges of that and some people aren't. Simple. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so it just depends on the parents. I mean, it, it really yep. does. I know some parents are just, man, they they just, because, you know, some parents get starstruck too, right? You know, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is Nick Saban or this is Dabo Sweeney or this is Kirby Smart or whatever, you know, or this is the school that I grew up rooting for and, and and you fall for that stuff as well. Some do, some don't. I mean, it's it's no different than players. I mean, there there are some sixteen year olds that I've met, and they're like, man, this kid is a lot savvier when it comes to seeing through the BS than I than than most adults that I know. And then you meet some that aren't, and it's the same thing with parents. And um, so you want the parents that do see, the parents that do see through the bull crap are the ones that tend to really like Notre Dame. It just because Notre Dame isn't flash and all that other kind of stuff, right? That because those parents, Ryan, care a lot more about the substance, a lot more about the mm-hmm. substance than than the ones that that get. Did you see the cool car my son got? The why should that matter to you as a parent? Like why why do you care about that? And those are the parents that that are going to a lot of times send their kids to Notre Dame as opposed to other places. We had another super chat from fullback backfield, full house, full house backfield. Full I, I back. love the fact full that house. he's got Jeff Burris in his photo too, because Jeff Burris oh, was part of that full house backfield when he played. So I absolutely yeah. love that. Very well. I mean, if you're going to have your name be full house backfield, you better have a dude that was part of that backfield. And so, yes, very, very well, we, very well we, done. Yep. And we very much appreciate the super chat, obviously. And his question is if coach O'Leary were to move on next year, could should one of the considered replacements be Mike Mickens coaching all defensive backs? I feel like this was done back in the day more often no than hire a linebacker coach. 
Yes, it was definitely done back in the day a lot more often, Ryan. But that was also, yeah, that was also back when coverages were a lot more structured as one, and safety play was was not as as I was having lunch with a a friend today, and, and a comment that I made to him was, I feel like safety has always been a position you needed a smarter guy, but it's even more so now because of just how much safeties are stressed and 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 attacked yeah. and i mean a lot of offenses nowadays are meant to put safeties and outside linebackers in huge binds and so you need those type of guys that can make those plays and it's it's it can be a challenge in my opinion to have one guy coaching the entire secondary it can be done the, but it re- absolutely requires you to have a ga that is a really good football coach i mean you've got to have a ga that you can trust to go coach the safeties during drills the other way you could yeah. do it too is 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 if like for example if Duke wanted to do that let's say Duke wanted to hire a DB's coach that coached the entire secondary and Mike Elko said don't worry I'll take the safeties during drills like Nick Saban used to do with corners for Alabama for a long time Mike Elko's one of the best safety coaches in college football so right. in that instance yeah it's working because then in meetings the the DB coach can have them all the DB coach can kind of watch it all during practice I've got a good GA that I can work with or I've got a head coach that takes that position. So you can do it. You just it, it it's more so about do you have the staff around that guy to do it? I, I personally would like to see a safeties coach and a corners coach. I think there's value to that, but depending on who you could hire, you know, let's say you have one position coach, you you, you have no hires, right? And so O'Leary leaves, and you're like, man, but I really want to hire this one guy. Uh, let's right. say Al Golden is still at Notre Dame. You know, I, I really want to go out and hire a linebackers coach because I think Al Golden's doing a great job running the defense, but he's not doing a great job coaching linebackers. And I can't keep recycling GAs every two years. I, I want to hire, I got a chance to go hire so and so who's a great linebackers coach, right? Or let's say Max Bulla is over the next year does a great job as the GA coach. Well, I only have, get him for another year or so. I want to keep him. So you promote him to linebackers coach in replacing O'Leary. And then you say, okay, coach Mickens, you've got the whole secondary. You're the pass game co- coordinator and all that, but you better make sure you have a darn good safeties GA. Right. And that, yeah. that'd be key. And if you do that, then I think you can make it work. And then of course, Al Golden is now just the D coordinator. So there's things he can do to also be keeping an eye on the safeties at different times as well. So I think you can make it work. There's merit to that full house backfield. In my opinion, it just, it's a hundred percent dependent upon what you have around that coach that's coaching the whole secondary. And it's much more important now than it used to be in my view. Yeah. Especially because it's like a little bit of a crash course. I know they use Mike Mickens as the example, like how comfortable is Mike Mickens coaching safeties? Like, I mean, I'm sure he could do it, but like, I mean, not to the degree of coaching corners. I mean, that's a position that he knows he's played, he's coached for a long time. So, I mean, yeah, I just think that it's very dependent on what's around you to your point.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.